I want to ask all of you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our study of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And I want to say, as always, the seating outside is fluid. So this would be a great chance if you want. I am so proud of these people for sitting up front. This is shade right here. I would be delighted if you wanted to come here out of the sun and move. You can take the choir seats and turn and come up close if you want. No one really has ever taken me up on that, and I could not be more serious. I'd be happy to see you here. If you're at home, what you don't know is there's this mass exodus that happens for the second o'clock, a second o'clock, second service at 11 o'clock in the middle, and the campus is now, there's people in the other courtyard. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 4, no reason to be miserable. Come stand right here, sit right here if you want. You're invited. We'll look at verses 30 through 32 today. I have a friend who's in this church named Joseph, who was a wildlife and fisheries and uh, forestry uh, graduate at UGA and, and did his master's there as well. And he will do what are called prescribed or controlled burns, where he would go to a plot of land where there's trees that are growing, that uh, maybe good pines that they want to grow healthy, and he would do a prescribed burn, which is burning uh, all the undergrowth and all the things that should not be growing there, because when he does so, it causes the good things to grow and to be very healthy. So maybe uh, plants that are not local to the area that have sprung up, or certain types of weeds, or fungus, or vegetation, or uh, even insects that would be harmful if you do those prescribed burns. It, it gets rid of all of those harmful or less than helpful or healthy things and allows for what should be growing to grow and to be healthy. I think at this point in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, that's what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to allow the Holy Spirit to do a prescribed burn in our hearts to get rid of what should not be there as new creations in Jesus Christ so that what should be there grows in health and flourishes. Chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians have been about our union with Christ, who we are in Christ, Christ's work of justification, making sinners right before a holy God. It was all the work of God. Chapters 4 through 6 are now about the process of sanctification, in which we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And that is the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God does the work of, of what theologians called mortification, the, the putting off and killing of the old person. And vivification, the making alive by the Spirit, conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. And where we are in Ephesians chapter 4 is Paul has been saying to the church at Ephesus, put off these things that were that were characteristics of the old man and put on these new characteristics that are what it looks like to be a child of God. So look with me here as Paul describes for us 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through 32, in one other way, what it looks like to live distinctively Christian, countercultural lives in the midst of a fallen world all around us. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of, put off all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Oh, Father, we believe that these are the very words of God. They are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are inerrant. They are infallible. And they are meant to transform our lives. This is the voice of God speaking to us. Allow that to sit in our hearts. Allow us to comprehend that. And allow us to know that in this word we find Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. May you enlarge our vision of Jesus Christ this day and cause us to live lives that are worthy of the calling we have received. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I did it again just this week. I pulled up to the gas station early in the week. This pump was empty, this pump was empty, this pump was empty. I found a pump, but I'm already in a bad mood. I'm already thinking ugly things in my heart, saying them in my mind about other people. And I get to where there is gas, and I pull up to this gas pump, and the gas is higher than it should be. So I'm already angry in my heart, despising somebody. I don't even know who to despise. I just want to despise. And then I can't get the cheap test, I have to get the high test because it's the only thing available. So once again, I'm angry, despising, judgmental, and hateful in my heart. I put in my gas, complaining and mumbling, hateful, angry the whole time. Bitterness is at the root. And then I hit the, do you want your receipt button? And nothing came out. So I go inside. The audacity with all the things I need to do in my life and how important I am that I have to walk inside to receive my receipt. I'm hateful in my heart, and so I walk in, I rip open the door, and I walk in, and I need a receipt on pump 10 with all the disdain that a preacher can have in his heart for people. The girl behind the counter gives me her receipt, says thank you for shopping with us today or whatever she said, and then she said, I'm sorry you had to come in to get your receipt. And immediately the kindness, the humility, the graciousness of this lady was used by the Holy Spirit to say, you've got a heart problem, John. Your heart is not displaying the kindness and grace and forgiveness and love of Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit to transform your angry, unkind heart. In our culture, brothers and sisters, you know as well as I do that we are under an avalanche of fury and hate 
and resentment and anger, where people despise one another and are suspicious of one another and are mean to one another. We are gaslighting one another. We are canceling one another. We are cruel and hateful and critical of one another. This is not a kind world anymore, if it ever has been before. But the Christian, according to Paul, is supposed to be marked by kindness. The heart of the Christian that has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit should display kindness, forgiveness, compassion, as Paul says here in our text. I want to ask you today, by the authority of the Holy Scripture, to be kind. To allow God's Spirit to so work in your hearts that you display the kindness of Jesus in what you say and how you live. Last time we saw how we're supposed to put off unwholesome, corrupt speech from our mouths and only put on the speech that is full of grace, that builds others up and displays the love of Jesus. Closely connected with that is what Paul says today, that we're to put off hearts of unkindness and to put on hearts of kindness forgiveness, grace. It is the mark of the Christian. Well, how are we going to get there? I mean, the world is longing, dying for Christians who are kind, that are, that are people that are, that are different. The world is looking for this too. Why do I know that? Well, think about just songs of the last even few years. Taylor Swift saying, why you got to be so mean? Tim McGraw saying, always be humble and kind. Halsey, I have no idea what she meant by this, but she said, you can be kind to the one that you love. Selena Gomez saying, kill them with kindness. The world recognizes the need for people to be kind. Harry Styles saying, treat people with kindness. For those of you who have no idea who any of those people are, here's one from the 1970s, Glenn Campbell saying, try a little kindness. The, the world is longing for people to be kind. We're moved by kindness. There was a show that was on Apple TV, which is, was not a Christian show that came out in the last year or so. In a world where people's speech has been so toxic and angry and everybody is seemingly unkind, a character named Ted Lasso came on the scene. It is a non-Christian show. It is, it's not a moral show in, in a lot of ways. It's a British uh, uh, you know, comedy. But what people noticed in the character of Ted Lasso is he was so utterly kind and his kindness affected everything everyone around him. I want to call on the church. I want to call to me and my own heart to be kind. How do we become people who are kind? It is and must be a work of the Spirit. I want to show you this morning that the Holy Spirit is central to all that we have to have 
to become the people that God has intended us to be. Did you see it in our text this morning? Chapter 4, verse 30, he says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, is key, central. And the desire to please the Holy Spirit indwelt within us is, is central to understanding what it means to let our speech be wholesome and our hearts be wholesome and kind too. Let me just take you through a quick survey of Ephesians because I want you to see the centrality of the Holy Spirit for producing in us the character of Jesus. Chapter 1, turn back two pages in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We must have the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 18. For through him, that is Jesus Christ, we all have access to the Father by one Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 22. And in him, you too, as a people of God, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in the church community by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, verse 5. I'll start at verse 4. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God. Chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of His glorious riches, Christ may strengthen you with power, so that through His Holy Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Chapter 4, verse 3, and I'll stop with this one. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. What's the point? The point is the Holy Spirit is central to the Christian life, not an accessory. He's indispensable. The third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is a person that indwells us, and by indwelling us, the presence of Jesus Christ is in us. I'll illustrate it this way. I uh, recently bought a Jeep. It's my midlife crisis purchase, and uh, don't get excited. It's not a nice Jeep, but on the front of this Jeep, uh, which, by the way, I don't know why they call it a midlife crisis, as in like you know when the midpoint of your life is, but I think I'm in that now. And I bought this Jeep, and on the front of the Jeep, there's a, there's a winch, the winch looks really cool. I've never used a winch. I don't really know what I would do with the winch, but I, I, I reckon that if I'm ever in a position and I need a winch, the winch is really strong and the winch will help me get out of a bind. I think that's how we view the Holy Spirit. This accessory on our lives that when we need Him, He'll be there. We don't even really know who He is or what He does, but 
We're told He's important. The Holy Spirit, though, Christians, is not an addition. He's the engine of the Christian life. Jesus Christ, chapters 14 through 16 of John, John talks about how Jesus Christ said to His disciples, John 16, He said, It's for your good that I go, because I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will remind you of all that I've talked to you. The Holy Spirit will equip you and strengthen you in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have power to do what I've called you to do. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher. The Holy Spirit will be your support. You cannot advance in the Christian life without the centrality of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says the Holy Spirit that's in you, don't grieve that spirit but allow that Spirit to become more and more alive in your hearts. The Holy Spirit is not optional. He's indispensable. The Holy Spirit points to Christ and glorifies Christ and exalts Christ in our hearts. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in every single one of you who has taken Christ as your Savior and Lord. And this, my brothers and sisters, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is what will enable you to be kind, to have compassion on others, as our text says and to be forgiving to one another, which is the ultimate expression of Christian kindness. In order to be transformed, I'll leave this point here and move on, but in order to be transformed into people who are actually and utterly kind in this world, we have to avail ourselves more and more of the Holy Spirit, cooperating with the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts. We have to place ourselves under the means of grace by which we are strengthened in the Holy Spirit. So as you read your Bible and as you pray and as you come to corporate worship and as you partake in the sacraments, God is working the power of the Holy Spirit in you to make you more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And as the Holy Spirit magnifies Christ in your heart, you're going to be transformed by the Spirit and you will be kind. That is why Paul begins here saying, do not grieve the essential Holy Spirit. Secondly, as we submit ourselves to the centrality of the Holy Spirit, we will be transformed by the character of God's Holy Spirit. The best way to explain this to you is to take you to Galatians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. But Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and he says, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit in your life produces love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. That as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts through the Word of Christ, we are transformed and we put off these things that are in our texts. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. And instead, we put on the evidence of the Holy Spirit, which is kindness, compassion, forgiveness. The word forgiveness actually means grace. We become people who are 
kind, compassionate, forgiving, gracious. That's the character that the Holy Spirit produces in us. So we, we've been taught throughout Ephesians chapter 4 to put off these things that are not of the Spirit and to put on what is of the Spirit. What, is, what are these things that we're supposed to put off right here? Well, these words here, and I'll just go through them briefly with you. Bitterness. You put off, you get rid of bitterness. It's not of the Spirit, which is a smoldering, resentful heart. A sour spirit in, inside of you where you are holding a grudge. It's a, it's a sour heart and a sour face that refuses to forgive and lets others know you're not going to forgive because of the look on your face. Someone has said that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting on the other person to die. Because bitterness destroys your own heart. Get rid of bitterness. Secondly, get rid of wrath or rage, said here in this context. Instead of just the, uh, the spirit that says, I refuse reconciliation and I can hold on to animosity, there's this, also this inward fire of wrath that can exemplify itself with a temper where you look with disdain in your heart because you're so angry in your heart. There's wrath and rage in your heart. Anger. This is that internal outrage that can exemplify itself with, with outward manifestations, which leads then to the next one, which is clamor or brawling. What is clamor? What is brawling? That's where the inner rage in your heart turns into words that are meant to destroy. You're, where you start yelling and fighting, where you raise your voice and show a lack of self-control because of the inner fire of anger that's within you. Paul says these have nothing to do with the Christian. These are not the presence of the Holy Spirit. Get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Get rid of the idea where you would defame someone else's character by your words where you speak dishonestly about a person, where you spread false information about someone with the intent to hurt them or damage their reputation, get rid of slander. And then malice. It's the sort of catch-all word that Paul throws in that has to do with the anger and wrath that's in your heart. You actually would love to see someone harmed. That's what malice is. You, you want to see Someone viciously attacked, even killed. It's, it's, a produce, it's the hatred in your heart that produces malice. Paul says, put these things off. Someone who is marked by these things is not delighting in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. So practically, when, if your social media feed is full of rage and anger, where you eviscerate one another or eviscerate politicians or organizations with your tone and language. That's bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. The Christian doesn't do that. The Christian spreads the beauty of kindness. The Christian doesn't assault people's characters and assume their motives. The, the Christian gives people the benefit of the doubt 
because we're kind. The Christian doesn't tolerate verbal abuse. What is verbal abuse? It's a bit of a nebulous term, but I would say this. If a person you know is habitually and intentionally putting you or someone down, controlling them by their words, manipulating and being aggressive with their words, with the intent to beat up, if their tone is demeaning or embarrassing or shaming, that's not of Jesus, and it has no place in the Christian life. It's not okay. We put off those things, and instead, we put on kindness, compassion, forgiveness. That's the new disposition of the person of Christ. Did you notice all of those things that I just mentioned to you? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Those are selfish motives in a heart that are looking out for themselves and despising someone else. But then it shifts here from the selfless hardness of our own angry hearts to looking out for the good of someone else. So it then turns here to kindness compassion, forgiveness, grace. Those are others-centered. In other words, the Christian doesn't look out for themselves and what they want. They look out for others. When there's a shortage in toilet paper, the Christian says, I'm not going to take more than I need because I want to bless my neighbor. When there's a shortage in gasoline, the Christian doesn't fill up their tanks and their cans at home taking for themselves. They say, I want to leave enough for my neighbor. Or they own a Tesla and they just laugh at everybody. But still, the Christian looks out for others. Their hearts are kind. The Holy Spirit produces the selfless character of Jesus Christ in the heart of the believer. And it's marked by kindness, compassion, forgiveness, grace. I want to ask you today church to be kind, to reflect the heart and beauty of Jesus. Kindness is beautiful. Kindness brings peace. Kindness brings healing. Kindness glorifies the kind one who is Jesus himself. You know that, right? Jesus was utterly kind. Never once was he unkind. When Even in his wrath, he took it out on the Pharisees and those who were manipulating and abusing others. Jesus was never once unkind. Jesus, as most of us have been reading, or many of us have been reading in a book by Dane Ortland, was gentle and he was lowly. His heart was wide open. His finger was not pointing at them. His arms were spread wide open and saying, I am accessible. I am kind. I am gentle. I am lowly. This is the mark of what it means to be a Christian. The text here says that we are tender-hearted, which is a combination of the word good and the word intestines. The idea in the Greek is that someone is compassionate when they feel in their inner being for someone else. I want to ask you to be kind, that the church would be marked by kindness. I blew it this last week uh, uh, again, 
just after last week preaching to you a sermon on using your words to bless others and not tear down. Aaron and I were out at a place this week, and somebody that was helping us was absolutely annoying us to death. And in my heart, because I'm such an awful person, was immediately despising them in my heart. I, I, was, I, was, I was ridiculing them. Aaron and I were given the look that, that says, we cannot stand the way this person is treating us and the way this person is acting. And then God, by His Holy Spirit, reminded me, when you preach these sermons, you probably should try to live them out yourself. So immediately the Spirit was pricking my conscience, and I thought, you know what? Instead of being hateful and bitter and angry and having malice and and all these unkind thoughts in your heart towards this person, why don't you act and think about what's going on in this person's life? So Aaron and I decided in that moment, instead of Uh, despising this person, we were going to try to understand their story. What's your background? Where have you been hurt? And by the end of the evening, our tone had such changed with this interaction with this person that the person actually left so benefited and graced because we decided to be kind. The person saw Jesus in us because the Holy Spirit was doing His work in our hearts. Somebody was in St. Andrew's Hall years ago, and I don't remember what they were talking about, but they were talking about unless the, wor- unless the church changes people's minds, the assumption in the world is that Christians are against everyone and against everything they don't believe in, that we're judgmental, that we're hateful. And the guy said that the typical, one of the typical views of Christians in the world is that of the Westboro Baptist Church. If you know who that group is, it's a group out of Kentucky that shows up to things and causes that they are against, and they are awful in their tone, in their words, and they harass, and it's a terrible display of Christianity. I want to say to you, church, that it's okay to be true to our biblical convictions Our hearts are captive to the Word of God. We cannot believe anything else but what God has clearly said in His Word. But we don't have to be mean about it. We read another situation recently where Aaron and I were going to be with a group, and I don't think anybody in the group was. It was a social event. We're Christians. And because Christ has been working on my heart and heart, I said, what if we made it our goal tonight to be the most selfless, kind people in the whole room? Let's don't talk about ourselves. Let's make everybody here know they're important because they're made in the image of God. Let's practice kindness. Let's be the most interested in them. Let's be the kindest people in the room. That's not natural, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit that makes us kind. Looks like my time is about up. The bell says so, too. Brothers and sisters, kindness shows us the beauty of Christ. Kindness pleases the heart of Christ. Kindness brings glory to Christ. Kindness is good for business. But above all, here's the last thing I want to say, and I'm going to have to wrap this up quickly. We are kind because God is kind. We are kind because Jesus was kind to us. 
The third thing I want you to see here is not just the centrality of the Spirit or the character of the Holy Spirit, but I want you to see the conviction that the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts. And very quickly, you see it here in verse 32. Look down with it, with me at it one more time. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see the empowerment and the motivation that the Holy Spirit works in us. We want to be kind because the Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus in our hearts. And we remember that as we have been forgiven, so we want to forgive other people. We want to be kind and gracious and compassionate because Jesus Christ was kind and gracious and compassionate with us. Peter Tells, uh, was talking to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. And he says, he's, he's feeling pretty good about himself. And he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody who sins against me? And Peter, you know, the rabbis would say, maybe up to four times you should forgive someone. But up to four times after that, they obviously don't really want forgiveness, so let them go. So Peter, he thinks he's something else. He says, Jesus, How much should we forgive somebody? Maybe up to seven times? And Jesus says, oh, no, Peter. How about 70 times seven times? 490 times, if you're being precise. Then Jesus tells a story. He says, Peter, there was a king, and the king was settling his debts. And He realized one of his servants owed him an insurmountable debt, millions upon millions of dollars. Jesus tells this story. And so the the king gets the guy and he throws him, he's going to throw him in jail because this guy can't pay the debt. And the guy begs him, oh, king, let me go. Please let me go. I'll pay you the debt. The king just forgives the debt. Unbelievable forgiveness and grace and mercy. Unbelievable compassion. And then that guy who's just been forgiven, Jesus says, goes and he finds a servant that owes him just a few pennies. He owes him a few bucks. And this servant takes that other servant by the neck and he grabs him and chokes him, the text says. And he says, pay back what you owe me. And the guy says, I can't pay you back. And he throws him into jail. And the king is so infuriated that this one servant was shown such incredible grace He was forgiven, but he refused to show grace and kindness and forgiveness to his servant. What's the point? Jesus says to us, as the Holy Spirit makes him alive more and more in our hearts, convicts us to want to love and show grace and kindness in the way we have been shown love and grace and forgiveness and kindness. I really am closing with this, but I want to ask you this week to practice kindness. I want to ask you to be the kindest people in every context you go, at work, at home, at school, in your neighborhood, that you would be marked as the kindest people in the room because you're reflecting the character of Jesus. Two books that have been helpful over the years A Conspiracy of Kindness by Steve Shrogan. We wouldn't agree with everything he says theologically, but the book talks about the power of the church 
as a powerful apologetic for Jesus Christ just by showing kindness. The other book that has been so instrumental is The Church of Irresistible Influence by Robert Lewis. It's a book that asks this question. If our church were to leave this neighborhood, if, a, if a, you know, an alien were to come and take our, ship, our church out of here, would people be sad to see us go? If you suddenly left your neighborhood, would your neighbors be sad to see you go because of the way you have shown kindness and love and grace and mercy and service to them? I want to ask you this week to be just a little kinder than is necessary. I want to ask you this week to be extra. Not because you're annoying, but extra because you're just so utterly kind and reflecting the heart of Jesus. May God give us the grace to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that we would so avail ourselves of the means of grace, that your Holy Spirit would transform our hearts, that we would have the character of Christ, and that we would want to emulate our Savior by showing the grace and kindness and love that was shown to us by a holy God and that would produce in us these hearts of kindness. May it be so for the sake of this world and for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.